Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. Sometimes it's just me, and other weeks I'm in conversation with another rabbi or a Jewish thought leader. Welcome, everyone. This week, we continue our journey into the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, with Parshat Va'adchanan. And one of the things that we're going to find is that this Parsha, in fact, this entire book, is very much about generational continuance, about things being passed on from one generation to the next. If you remember, the entire context of the book of Deuteronomy is that Moses is about to die, and so he takes it upon himself to give this series of speeches to the people just before they cross over the river into the land of Israel without him. This week's parsha, as I said, is called Va'adchanan, which means in Hebrew, I pleaded, because it begins with Moses pleading to be able to enter the land. Va'edchanan el Adonai ba'etahi, I pleaded with God, Moses says. Let me, I pray, cross over and see the good land on the other side of the Jordan, that hill country. And the Eternal said to me, Rav lecha, enough, stop talking about this. So Moses, wishing to enter the land, goes to God one last time to see if God will be flexible about the matter. And God says, no. And so for the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses turns towards securing the best possible future for the Israelites without him. He does so by expounding laws and by reminding the Israelites over and over again to be faithful to God, to be faithful to God's commandments, to follow the ways that have been set before them. Two verbs, two Hebrew verbs that we hear over and over again in this Parsha and throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Shema, which means to hear, and Shamor, which means to keep or to observe. So Moses begs the people, he exhorts the people to listen to God's words and to follow what is expected of them. Now, to some extent, as a liberal Jew, It's easy to struggle with that. I know I personally don't believe in a commanding God in that way, in a personal God who chooses one people and writes down the Torah and commands a set of laws specifically to that people. I tend to think of God more in terms of our capacity to connect with what's larger, to understand what's right and wrong and make the world better, and to make meaning in this world. But ultimately, I think whichever view of God speaks to you, what sits at the center of this parsha and this book is the idea of covenant. The idea that we Jews, we Israelites, are in a lasting long-term relationship with God and with each other and with this way of life that we call Judaism. And that certainly has been true. This has been something that we've passed down from generation to generation throughout the ages. And we see elements of that here in Vadchanan, starting with Moses wishing that he could cross into the land and settling instead for passing on traditions and words to the next generation. And later in the Parsha, we'll see at least two other references to the importance of passing on traditions. One of them, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, says essentially that later 
Your children will ask you what all these laws and rules are about, and you'll say to them, Avadim hayinu Mitzrayim. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God set us free. Those words might be familiar to you from the Passover Seder, which is, of course, our annual exercise in telling our origin story, telling our foundational story to the next generation. The other reference in this parsha is from a passage that's probably even more familiar to you, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which begins with these words, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Eternal is our God, the Eternal is one. Now I mentioned that the word Shema, listen, appears over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. So this is not the only time that we see the words Shema Yisrael, listen up Israel. But of course, this passage has been carved out of the Parsha, placed into our prayer book, and is traditionally recited twice a day, morning and evening, as a kind of a daily watchword or daily mantra to remind ourselves of our ongoing covenant and our ongoing responsibilities as Jews. After that first line, it continues with a series of commandments that we know as the Vehavta, that are ways to show love, ways to show our fidelity to the covenant with God. Vehavta et Adonai Elohecha, you shall love the eternal your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Remember these commandments which I charge you this day. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There is so much to talk about there, but I want to zero in on verse 7. And specifically the first two words of verse 7. Veshinantam levanecha. Teach them or impress them upon your children. The them here that we're supposed to be teaching or impressing upon our children is the words of the covenant. Hadvarim ha'ele, the words that God has spoken to you. So the rabbis see in these two words a commandment to teach Torah, to teach Judaism to the next generation. And out of this, they tell a story that essentially says that Torah was given for the sake of each successive generation. This story is from the Midrash. It appears in several places, but among them, Midrash Tanchuma. It says that when Israel was standing at Mount Sinai, ready to receive Torah, God said to them, Tnuli Arev Shetekaimu Ota. Give me some surety, some guarantor, that you'll fulfill it. Now that Hebrew word, shetekaimu, comes from a root that has a couple of meanings. It means to fulfill or to uphold, but it also means to cause to continue to exist. So there are two things that God is asking here. One is assurance that we will keep the Torah, and the other is, or seems to be, assurance that we will keep the Torah alive, keep it extant. And I won't tell the whole Midrash, but essentially the people give a few different options. They go back to God and say, we offer our patriarchs as guarantors, and God says, your patriarchs are not good enough guarantors. And then in some versions of the story, they offer the prophets as guarantors, 
And God says, your prophets are also not good enough guarantors. Until finally the people say, Our children shall be our guarantors. And God accepts the children as guarantors and gives Torah for their sake. So there's a sense here in this Midrash, which was written any time between, you know, the 2nd and 8th centuries CE. So a long time ago, but certainly not at the beginning of Judaism. There is a sense here of the deep importance of passing on traditions. This is the same thing that Moses is struggling with at the beginning of the Parsha, when he knows he's going to die and he wants to pass on traditions. And it continues to be a concern for so many Jews today. This idea of covenant has kind of seeped into our psyche as Jews, and many of us feel a responsibility to ensure that things get passed on. And there are two points I want to make about that, two kind of unrelated points. One of them is about intermarriage, but I'm probably not going to say what you think I'm going to say. Um, the Canadian Jewish News published a podcast this week with a kind of a doomsday title, Will Interfaith Marriage Save the Jewish People or Destroy It? And I, well, I already told them that I think it's the wrong framing. I don't think interfaith marriage itself will either save or destroy the Jewish people. But I do think that our response to and our welcome and engagement of intermarried families has the potential to have a deep effect on their engagement in Jewish life. All the statistics show that when intermarried families are welcomed and included in Jewish life and affiliated in synagogues and Jewish communities, they're much more likely to have the tools that they need to raise Jewish families. For me, this is precisely one of the reasons that I started officiating intermarriages, or what I call Jewish weddings where one partner is not Jewish, because I was looking to engage people in Judaism if they want to engage in Judaism. I believe that the religion of each individual partner isn't really what matters here. Intermarried families raise Jewish children all the time, and therefore should be treated as Jewish families because that's what they're choosing to be. One of these days I'll do a whole podcast just on that topic. My second kind of unrelated point is you might be thinking, well, what if I don't have children, or choose not to, or can't have children? Am I excluded from this entire discussion as far as Jewish tradition is concerned? And the answer is no. And for this, I'll turn to the Rambam, Maimonides, the 12th century sage who wrote in his Mishnah Torah, which is his code of Jewish law, about our verse that we're reading about here. He writes, Every person is obligated to instruct their children, I'm gender sensitizing the language here, and to teach their children's children. As it says, Vishinantam Levanecha, impress them upon your children. But the Rambam continues, It is not only about your own children, rather, each and every teacher in Israel is commanded to instruct all who desire to be disciples. In other words, we Jews have a sort of a general commandment to teach each other Torah, to learn Torah together, to study together, to build the ongoing portfolio of Torah among the Jewish people by learning and studying and passing things on. That's true whether you have children or not, whether you're married or not, whether you're in a long-term relationship or not. At the end of the day, study is one of the basic currencies 
of Jewish life. It is the way that we keep our traditions alive, that we ensure that Torah will be passed from generation to generation, shetekayem, as it says in that Midrash. So we started with Moses, worried about what would happen when he was gone, handing us a book of laws to take with us into the land. And we end with an ongoing general responsibility to keep studying those laws. 3,000 years later, that very book and the study of that book continues to sit at the center of Jewish life. It's not the only way to be a Jew, but it certainly is a very important expression of our ongoing commitment to covenant. And of course, that's what we're doing here at 7 Minute Torah, studying the Parsha, sharing words of Torah with one another, both here in the podcast and in the Facebook group, and ensuring that our tradition stays alive, stays meaningful, stays relevant in this generation and generations to come. So thanks for studying with me, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to 7 Minute Torah. If you enjoy this program, please leave a review on your podcast app, and please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7minutetorah. You can also join us in our Facebook group, 7 Minute Torah Listen and Discuss.